One element of scoring that is really interesting is that not many people, I mean, people who like film and watch film regularly, mm-hmm. they're diehards. They'll be working in the gym, working out in the gym, like pumping to like the soundtrack of Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. <laughs> but I don't think many nice. people like, yeah, when you hear a really good song in a movie, it, it sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Cinevibes, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a great episode for you today. And of course, as always, I'm joined by my esteemed co-host and good friend, Ken Jackson. Yo, what's up? And our guest is equally as great. This person has been grinding in the industry since 2016, working in various capacities as a composer, sound editor, and designer, as well as a music supervisor. This person has a special place in my heart because we've worked together on five projects so far, and he has really been a pivotal influence in my career thus far as a writer-director. So, without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Brian Holt. Welcome. Hey. Nice to be here. Nice to be here, guys. Can you believe... It's been five projects we've worked on. Five. We've done five together now. Five projects. That's nuts. Wow. Thanks for joining us today to share a little bit about your experience as a composer. Anytime. Anytime, guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it's been... Like y'all were talking about, you and Trey, y'all had been working together, and I, I did my deep dive on your IMDb page All and right. saw that you guys have been working since 2017 with Lost and Found. Well, uh, okay, Lost and Found was our first, right? Yeah. So from Lost and Found, you guys have worked on Disconnect, Live. Y'all, y'all have been working together a lot. I wanted to know, like, how did you get into composing for film? Has... Like music always been the route you wanted? Well, it's always, music has been pervasive in my life for sure. Uh, Scoring for film has not always been a dream really, Mm -hmm. or something that I thought was a realistic dream even. Mm -hmm. Um, I started started piano lessons at four, had 11 years of lessons till I was 15. Uh, started playing the trumpet in school band at fourth grade, I think, oh. and then played that all the way through uh, university at James Madison University at a pretty serious level. At by that point, although I was I was uh, I was good enough during junior high, high school to be first chair most of those years. Mm-hmm. Then immediately got to university and was third chair. Mm. amongst some giants. Yeah. Knocked really, you down really a people. peg or two. But I was comfortable enough or accomplished enough to get into the Marching Royal Dukes, which was, it's even hard to explain what type of experience that was. That that was yeah. James Madison University's marching band. We had 400 
plus players, including the uh, the flags team, huge, mm-hmm. massive. Um, I mean, my trumpet section in the March Memorial Dukes mm-hmm. was as large as my entire high school band. Oh, wow. <laughs> just my trumpet section. Oh, amazing. We had 55 trumpets. That is insane. So I played for two years, two years at uh, university on trumpet. Yeah, I stopped the piano lessons at 15. It was long enough to train, the, the lessons were long enough that it's it's a skill set that'll always stick with me. I'll never yeah. forget how to play. I'll never forget how to mm-hmm. read music. I get really rusty. I'm not a super strong player. Yeah, and because I didn't really work very hard mm-hmm. at practicing, I never woodshed it, as they say. Right. But was good enough to to get by to to have fun with it. I even got into the navy on my piano skills as a Navy, Navy musician ah, when I was 18. Wow. And, that is really interesting. And then in my 20s and 30s, I played a lot of live music, bar bands, rock and roll, blues, funk mm. stuff. Yeah. That's Bouncing amazing. around bars for 15 years or so, basically, from early 20s to mid 30s, mm-hmm. which got a bit tiresome because you were always in, I mean, it was, a, it was an absolute riot, but... Mm-hmm. You, you were often in a setting where several of you were really serious and sev- several of you were just hanging out and having fun. Right. So it was an interesting, always an interesting experience in group dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Managing a band, rehearsals, preparing for gigs. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot during that period. But then hauling around a, a big piano and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> in and out of bars. And so I did that for a while. Uh, so music has really always been there. Oh, and I was I was a vocalist. I started singing in high school pretty seriously. I didn't even know I could sing. But, um, I think I was looking up to my older brother, Kevin, who is a very talented singer, is a very talented singer. He doesn't sing anymore, but... So looking up, looking up to him, he was a senior when I was a freshman, and I kind of followed in his footsteps and thought, well, if he can sing, maybe I can sing. Yeah. Try it out, and lo and behold, it, I could <laughs> hold a tune. <laughs> ended up going to, you know, getting pretty serious my junior and senior year in high school with, with voice. Um, it was in choir, uh, went to honors choir, kind of international competition level. Ah. I was tr- thinking, you know, at the time I loved it. Uh, I was comfortable with it. It was really compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually was intended to and, and started a music track a vocal music major at James mm-hmm. Madison University. Okay. So I was performing at JMU while I was in high school the year prior to going to JMU. Mm-hmm. Not at the highest level. I was in the chorus of the opera, but it was a pretty serious opera. Yeah. And uh, did that for a few years. So always, always enjoyed really high level choral music. So music's always been there for me. Mm-hmm. Here is what's going on in the news. It is award season, everyone. The Golden Globes happened this week, and we had winners such as Nomadland for Best Picture Drama, Daniel Kaluuya, Best Supporting Actor, and Chadwick Boseman as Best Actor in a Drama. April 3rd are the SAG Awards, so by the time this episode drops, you will be able to know who won in those, so let us know what you think of the winners of those. Makeup Artists and Hairstylists Awards also happened with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom winning Best Period Makeup and Hair. 
Birds of Prey winning the best contemporary makeup and hair as well. Now, back to the interview. I think I remember perhaps dreaming about or, or planting a seed, having an interest in f- scoring for films in, I think it was around 98, mm. 98, 99, right? <laughs> that was a good year. Yeah. <laughs> I can only, yeah, it was, it was for me. I was six. Ah. <laughs> I was three. That's I wasn't awesome. even three. I was two. Ninety-eight. That's classic. Uh, two and six. Oh, that's great. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. We set no. the stage. <laughs> we set the stage. Let me see. So I was uh, twenty-four. Twenty-five. Hey, maybe you were a protege, and you're like ten. <laughs> you know, yeah. we weren't trying to expose you there. No. You know, but interesting. No, no, no. The uh, the so at that time. Th- it it still just didn't seem like a realistic dream. Computers were still not fast enough. I had a, what, it was some sort of like compact two, 486 or 286 or something. Mm. You couldn't even dream of putting together a home studio. <laughs> Nothing yep. was, was a reality. <laughs> Shoot, the internet was really only two years old at that time. Yeah, so you were still, off. to have those kind of dreams still. It's kind of far-fetched. The fruition of a dream like that still looked like moving to L.A., Mm-hmm. Basically, right? So I do remember having a little little seed of the dream back then, but yeah. then quickly realizing, you know, this doesn't feel quite right. At that time, I had just started a career in massage therapy mm-hmm. and then went on to have a private practice in rehabilitative massage therapy and energy work and Reiki for about 10 years after that. Okay. Before I transitioned out of that. Yeah, so I didn't come to do film work until my first film was 2016. Mm-hmm. But the seed of that started in 2012 with uh, game studio, Raincrow Studios. Okay. I'm curious what ended up bringing you back. Because a lot of times people get kind of that deflated dream and then they just say, well, you know, I'll do, in your case, you know, massage mm-hmm. therapy and I'll make a career out of that. And- mm-hmm. Not that you love it, but maybe it pays well enough and things are going fine and mm-hmm. you just never end up coming back. But, you know, you did. What What was that trigger? That's a good question. I, I Perhaps it was a function of time and technology, opportunities. It was an opportunity that finally appeared realistic. Mm. That's a good point. 18 years later, mm. or, or it wouldn't have been that long. Well, yeah, almost. Mm-hmm. See, 2012 was the first time I kind of started scoring 2012. So that's about 14 years after I'd originally thought I might be interested in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it was another four years after that before I did my first film. Mm-hmm. Again, my love for music never left, but uh, I think just the opportunity presented itself differently. Right. Yeah. Did you always have a certain kind of like a love for film scores when you were growing up or like Yeah, yeah. What kind uh, for of sure, for sure. Yeah, what are your inspirations with that? What did it to you? What what got you the bug wow. with like scoring and composing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. I was trying to in preparing for the interview, I was looking back. Uh, it's it's amazing to to realize how much in our memory is out of out of sight, out of mind. Right. Yeah. 
even when you start to try to write it all down as if you ever could. Mm-hmm. Impossible. I, you know, I can get close to remembering a good portion of my inspirations and, and uh, what, what, where the original sparks were, but I can mm-hmm. only imagine how many I'm also forgetting. They're right. kind of endless. Mm-hmm. We always had really amazing music in the house. First and foremost, growing up, my father's older brother, my uncle Art, was a professional trumpet player uh. for big bands back in the 30s and 40s. So we always had really solid music inspiration and foundation around the house. Mm-hmm. So looking back at my influences, I remember in my 20s, really being in love with John Barry, okay, Thomas Newman, mm-hmm. among others. Uh, John Barry's Out of Africa, Lion in Winter, and Dances with Wolves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lion in the Winter was probably the first one that I heard. We had that, that uh, vinyl growing up. Mm. Wow. I remember wow. putting that on and laying down on the down on the carpet in front of the stereo system and just turning it up beautiful if you've never heard it it's really haunting and beautiful mm-hmm. mm. then dances with wolves john barry thomas newman's shawshank redemption was yeah. on repeat for me right. in my 20s yeah and mark isham's a river runs through it so those three at that time the river runs through it shawshank redemption and dances with wolves were in high rotation for me yeah. Whenever they came out, it would have been 93, 4, 5, 6. Mm-hmm. So right around 19 to 22, 23 for me. Mm-hmm. So those were some of the early uh, early inspirations. And then Henry Mancini's Hitari, right. my younger brother's favorite LP, um, was also in the house. So we, we, had, we had some early influences around. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that that's really cool. Like, you're... you're Film composing, has mm-hmm. it changed any way that you've looked at film? Like those films that you were talking about, Do you? is there any way that you look at films now differently than possibly before now that you're scoring or composing more regularly? For sure. Yeah. I, in, without a doubt, uh, it, I have huge respect for, for what these composers are pulling off um, at the levels they're, 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 they're composing yeah. and interpreting these stories. Yeah, absolutely. Once I, once I started working and really started the, what will be a long path of learning mm-hmm. and really honing my craft, um, I, I don't think that, that path really ever ends, that, that learning. Mm-hmm. I really started to understand, well, I can remember what it felt like the first time when I put a film up on my computer screen, my uh, studio session screen, and saw a film without sound, without music. Yeah, had never had the opportunity to to watch a film with no soundtrack. I don't think many people think of that kind of thing, unless it was, of course, intended that way. And there have been a few over the years, which are really intriguing, mm-hmm. that that actually don't have scores. There, there have been a few though. It's, it's very rare. So that was, that was a fascinating experience a handful of years back to, to watch a film with no, with no music. And I realized, mm-hmm. ah, yeah, okay, that all has to come from me. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. We could go a million ways here. You have to, uh, you have to interpret the story. 
but yeah, so it's definitely changed how, how I watch movies. Um, certainly the, uh, the musical side of things. And then of course, um, audio post, you know, which we can get into perhaps in another, another episode, Mm -hmm. very keen, uh, when I watch a movie, I'm really thinking about everything and hearing, of course, you know, you kind of want to sit back and just enjoy the story too. Mm Mm-hmm. But as a craftsman, you're listening to the craft as mm-hmm. well a lot of the time. So, mm-hmm. I wanted to dive into one little thing sure. related to sound, just because we're kind of circling the topic right now with silence. I don't think a lot of people think about in a film when no one's talking and there's quote unquote silence. Mm. It's not silence, Mm-mm. right? Like there's a lot going on there to make you think or process in your mind, oh, this is supposed to be quiet. Right. Talk about absolutely the power of silence. Because, you know, I think we're going to kind of talk mostly about music and that emotion with sounds and instruments, but just the silence, like, have, how do you quantify that, the power of that? That's a fascinating question. Um, well, fundamentally, it, in terms of the craft you do what's called spotting a film for those who aren't aware of the process behind the, uh, behind the scenes. And that's where we sit down, composer with director, producer, and watch the film and go through the film and we decide where we want music, where we don't want music, and why. Mm-hmm. And there are many reasons, of course, to, to leave music out, to feature silence. And a lot of times it's not necessarily silence. Mm-hmm. It's simply the sound, the real sound, the realistic sound of the environment in which we find the characters on screen mm-hmm. uh, in the world. And a lot of the time you simply want to feature life on display, that story on display. And the story of our lives in the real world doesn't come with a soundtrack. Yeah, film is film is a strange piece of art in that regard. I don't know about you guys. I have a soundtrack going all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like, do I'll too, be right? looking yeah, out yeah, the yeah. window <laughs> in my car yeah, sometime yeah. when it's raining, like today, and I'm like, I'm the main character. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you can use silence to to do a lot of things, and there there are kind of endless ways to to storytell. And, uh, and and be creative with, with the use of sound or no sound, silence, sound effects, music, the combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you can do that simply to elevate reality, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To leave the viewer with the story in the most realistic view of what, what's on screen. Yeah. And the sounds of the world, natural sounds, whether it's nature outside or whether it's an air conditioning inside or could be a TV in the background. There could be um, what they call diegetic uh, sound or music. And diegetic sound or music would be something that's actually coming from the world where the characters are. Mm -hmm. So that would be sound over TV, sound over a car radio, something they're playing on their stereo, Mm -hmm. on their phone, diegetic. Okay. Versus the score, which is this extra layer to the storytelling mm-hmm. that sits on top of the world that we're in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's lots of lots of fascinating ways to use silence. Um, so it could be just to to elevate the reality of the situation. It can also be to elevate tension. Mm-hmm. For instance, with horror films, 
Yeah. Silence is golden. Yeah. Yeah. Golden. Yeah. Because that silence is going to be followed by something that's going to freak out. Oh my yep. gosh. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you go from that, that, that dynamic, uh, you, you create a dynamic mix, mm-hmm. meaning you, you have a wide soundstage from something really silent where you're growing, growing tension, tension is growing. Mm-hmm. And maybe you hear little sound effects and real sound in the room. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've even seen, I can't remember examples of this where it's ultra um, unrealistic. So it's, it's hyper, hyper realistic where mm-hmm. uh, you don't hear any of the real sounds in the world. And maybe there's no sound at all, okay. um, which is really disconcerting. I don't see it that often, but I think I've seen it on occasion. Mm-hmm. And it's really stunning when a director makes a choice like that or where the sound design, sound effects, not music, are hyper-realistic. Mm. So you're hearing something you would never hear. It, it really is part of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all a matter of pushing and pulling those emotions, mm-hmm. telling mm-hmm. that story, bringing people on a ride. Uh, so yeah. silence is key. Definitely. I think that one element of scoring that is... Uh, really interesting is that not many people i mean people who like film and watch film regularly mm-hmm. they're diehards they'll be working in the gym working out in the gym like pumping to like the soundtrack of pirates of the caribbean or something like that <laughs> but you know nice. i don't think many people like yeah when you hear a really good song in a movie it it sticks with you. But mm-hmm. a lot of people, even in those silent moments or in those very slow moments, it's almost like when done very well, it's so smooth that the viewer is like led by the music and it's really interesting. And I, I wonder, I want to get your opinion on all of that. Like, does that, it, mm-hmm. what is, what is that like whenever you're leading the audience on an emotional roller coaster? Ah, <sighs> what is that like? Well, you it's, say buckle uh, up. well well, (laughs) there's a couple sides to that of course so first of all what i what you didn't say or what i maybe heard you intimating was that it's not often that people listen to a score a film score outside of the film Mm -hmm. right some people do and they're really into it in fact even me as a composer Mm -hmm. a fan of of the work i don't always find film scores something I can listen to on their own. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're, I mean, it's, it's really compelling and I will in bits and pieces, but a lot of times a, a film score doesn't necessarily stand on its own. Right. Simply because it was written to be, woven into the DNA of something else, the, mm-hmm. the the greater film. Yeah. And then when you pull that apart, you're soloing it out. And that goes a number of different directions depending on the kind of score. I mean there there are plenty of scores which which stand alone, obviously on 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 listening. But you were asking mm-hmm. what is it like to take a listener on an emotional ride? Yeah. First of all, I don't know that they are. <laughs> Okay. I, I can't necessarily know that. There's there's no guarantee. That is the hope, right? Okay. Um, that is the hope. I can, if I'm in a setting where I get the privilege of watching a film in the company of people who haven't seen it before, mm-hmm. then I have some sort of 
evidence yeah. of of what we're what we've accomplished with the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I still can't really know what that means to them personally, but everyone can see uh, evidence in tears coming out of someone's eyes or mm-hmm. uh, or a smile coming to their face or when you hear them audibly gasp or giggle or yeah, you you can tell people are moved, right? But you never know exactly until until it happens, right? Until until you finish it off. Yeah. But then the flip side of what that actually looks like is trial and error and hard work and toil and a bit of agony and you go on your own roller coaster ride of mm-hmm. really working, working, working and shaving things away and throwing lots of stuff at the wall and almost nothing sticks. There's right. a tremendous, at least for me, and I think it's the case with lots, um, uh, lots of composers at different levels, right? Even mm-hmm. at the highest level, you'll, you'll hear composers talk about 20 different revisions, 40 different revisions where mm-hmm. they submitted a cue to the director and it wasn't quite right or it was completely off, off mark. And so they scrap mm-hmm. that and it goes to the side of the project and they start over again on deadline, on, on short deadline a lot of times. They're really cranking out um, sometimes two to four to 10 times the amount of, of music mm. than actually gets... Put filed down into the to the finished product. I can't remember. I was recently listening to to someone say they created. Uh, can't remember who it was, but they, they for an hour long film they they had composed seven hours of music, mm. six of which didn't make it. Right. So a lot of trial and error yeah. to actually, and attention to detail. Frankly, because it, it's kind of one of those those situations where. Ideally, you want it to look like it was easy because mm-hmm. you don't want people actually thinking about the the craft. You want right. them caught up in a story. Mm-hmm. So there's this strange ultimate goal of most applications of, of music to film, film score or audio sound design and audio post mm-hmm. where you kind of want to disappear. Right. In a way. Yeah kind of into the background. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that a score won't feature or sound effects won't feature heavily, mm-hmm. but it's not for the purpose of the viewer thinking, wow, listen to that score. Wow, those sound effects are amazing. Mm-hmm. You just kind of want them to be wowed by the story and the yeah. character on screen, the visual on screen. And mm-hmm. the music does a great deal and the sound effects and audio posts do a great deal to to actually bring that to fruition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite movies, as everyone knows already, is Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Mm. Cornfield. Wow. There's a famous, I don't know like if it's fully true, but apparently all Christopher Nolan told Hans Zimmer was that the film was a love story. Mm. And obviously if you watch Interstellar, a lot of people would be like, what the freak are you talking about? Wait, That's not wait, a love what? story. But, I mean, I fully believe it is, but that's Mm -hmm. another conversation. Anyways, from that, he wrote a decent bit of that music and a lot of that very heavy organ-based score that everyone either loves or hates, I found out. Brilliant. And 
I mentioned that not only to plug in our stellar because people need to watch it, but yeah. also because <laughs> in that same vein for yourself, if you perhaps read a script or maybe you get a word or a director gives you a phrase and he's like, you know, run with it. Yeah. And you start really jiving and jumping in there and working on something. Yeah. On one side, what is it like when the director's like, ooh, not uh, mm. think you went the wrong way. <laughs> and then on the yeah. other side, when they're like, oh, shoot, like you nailed exactly what I wanted and I didn't even know what I wanted. All I told you was love or it's about a coming of age story. Like what are those two mm-hmm. dynamics like? Yeah, it's 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 extraordinary, really. It's it's uh, it's hard to to really describe the the difficulty in that leap, where you start with something number one that is uh, a director, a writer, or a group of folks, baby. You know, this you've, you've they've been with this for a long time mm-hmm. as director and writer. You know. You've probably been with the project a year and a half, maybe, or longer in development, even before it was shot. It was shot. It's been in editing for months and months. There's a lot of of investment, emotional investment in a story before it gets to my studio a lot of times as a composer. Mm-hmm. So you really have to to be intuitive, I suppose, mm-hmm. ideally, with a lot of this, because mm-hmm. you're never going to totally get there on the brief. You're, right. You're never going to have the right words that tell you exactly what to write. It doesn't work that way anyway. It's too beautiful a craft to to be spoken about. Literally, you can't can't nail it down. I think that's part of why music is so compelling and always has been as humans it's something that both speaks to us about internally these things we can't bring words to it takes us out of the things it it, it, it's an escape it's a connection Mm -hmm. it's a closeness it's a it's all of these things but it's it's so it sits so outside of of language Mm -hmm. so I love when a director is really creative with how they approach interpretation of story when it comes to sound. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Interstellar, Chris Nolan said, it's a love story. That might be counterintuitive. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. Because <laughs> even if it is counterintuitive, even if that's only a small part of what the story actually is, and th- there's a lot of cases where you can score opposite to or left of field to what's actually happening on screen and it's more effective. Mm-hmm. So in a serious music seriously scored on top of comedy a lot of times for, for a perfect example, mm-hmm. brings out the comedic effect of the, of the, the spoken comedy and the acted comedy mm-hmm. more than writing comically in a musical style to accommodate the comical acting style on the screen. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's counterintuitive but it, it doesn't actually elevate the comedy. Right. Oftentimes, if you take a, a very serious approach to the orchestration, in contrast to the comedy on the screen, it actually elevates the comedy. Mm-hmm. That's the old uh, comedic duo kind of thing, the, the straight man and the, and, and the opposite. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I love when I love when a director is is really creative with how they approach interpreting what they want from the music. It can also be a little disconcerting when I have too much freedom mm-hmm. to interpret because I could go so many different directions. Then, of course, the only way to kind of start steering the ship is to have continued conversation, trial and error, get feedback. Mm-hmm. So in my line of work, I'm not writing for myself. I'm writing for you mm-hmm. as director. Mm-hmm. I One has to, as a composer, one has to really become comfortable with criticism and feedback and not take it personally. It's mm-hmm. just part of the game. You have to put it out there and say, all right, reality check, where are we? Mm-hmm. You're totally off base. Ah, got it. All right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Where do we go from here, right? I didn't just work on this for three days. No big deal. Oh, no, it's, yeah, it's just, no, for just sure. Da- down the trash. Okay. <laughs> for sure, absolutely. Is that a blank page as daunting for you as maybe a writer with that blinking cursor? And it's just yeah. like, mm. what am I doing? No, it really is. Um, I don't. I don't love starting. I never love starting a project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. For me, uh, the first third of any film, I would say, at least, really getting into spotting, you know, the the uh, project organization. Some of the the more technical aspects of the work are great. You just jump in, get running, creating the project, spotting the film out. That's very methodical. And mm-hmm. there's a part of my nature where. I love both the methodical nature and technical nature of the work as well as the very ungrounded, you have to float into the ether to right. actually capture the idea. So mm-hmm. you need you need to be floating away and watching the ground going away from there there it goes. We're <laughs> we're going up. There's you have the to target. Be comfortable to get oh, lost I'm up there. Going away from it. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not for aiming sure. for the truck. For sure. So for me, um, when once I'm in that creative process, now it, it depends on how much time I have. Yeah. Right. Um, if I have time, I love throwing paint at the wall. Mm-hmm. I, I love that part if, if there's not a lot of pressure on time. If if deadline is is tight, that's that's a that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. You just have to get get to it and get down, trial and error, get stuff out throw it away, get stuff out, throw it away. That's a horrible idea. Wow, that sounds horrible. Okay, <laughs> great. Then you have to be very careful. I, uh, you know, self-deprecating nature and self-criticism. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, can I do this? Oh, I'm horrible. I can't write. Have I written before? Can I write music? <laughs> I haven't done 27 films. No way. But once you get the hook in, for me, once I, once I get a structure there, something, something in, once I get a few seeds in the ground, that's when I really love it. I love I love developing and blossoming a piece, and mm-hmm. then you're 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 playing, and and it's also very technical as well. But but there are boundaries, so it's comforting to play within those boundaries because I have something, I've got the hook in, mm-hmm. and now I can really explore that idea and be very fastidious with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fun am, word. It's a very nice word. I am fastidious. I I, I love. Um, I if I have the time to, I really love caring about the little things, caring about the the very littlest details, not only technically about something I'm writing, 
but emotionally and creatively mm-hmm. speaking, the interpretation of an idea. Mm. Yeah. The stuff that will never mean anything to a listener, maybe even or the director. And I love having these um, little Easter eggs, maybe just for me. Mm-hmm. But knowing that I spent, let's say, three or four hours working that little piece, you won't know it's there, but it made all the difference to me. Yeah. And, or for instance, like with uh, Live, our recent uh, film this past year. Which you can watch on Vimeo right now. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting a little off track on the question, but uh, tending to details, like when I um, did the credits music, Companions piece, play it again. Brian Workcamp's uh, song. Mm-hmm. That song had to be vastly reduced in length to fit the credits, uh, the time in the credits. Mm. And as a result, there wasn't actually a part of the song that would, you, you basically had to take the full length song, it might've been, let's see, three to five minutes mm-hmm. and make a complete song out of it that only lasted 30 seconds. So I couldn't just take a 30 second piece of the song or just the verse or just the chorus mm-hmm. and actually complete the idea. But I had to take the whole song and somehow make a new song out of it that was, I don't know, a, a quarter of the length, a fifth of the length. Mm-hmm. So a lot of editing to, 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 to pull that off. But the kind of details or little Easter eggs that, that I talk about there, little, the, the, the care and attention that, mm-hmm. that really excites me is the notion of what I did with that song as an example. I didn't add anything to it. I could have, and it would have been a lot more convenient when I was um, cutting and pasting and cropping and <laughs> fading parts of that song to add extra elements to make it work um, from my own instruments, extra drums, extra synths, extra whatever. Mm-hmm. It would have been a lot faster to do that. But there was a part of me that wanted it to be all his. Right. Even though it was my remix, my my version of it. Mm-hmm. Spin of it, yeah. So I took, I resampled little parts of little drum fills and other tiny little parts where there were synths that were um, standing alone or little pieces in the song mm-hmm. and used those all uh, elements from his original recording to actually restructure the song. So it's little details mm-hmm. like that, that that bring me a lot of joy. It doesn't necessarily mean something to the director or the viewer mm-hmm. but it's like it's it's how i like to work yeah yeah i mean the viewer would never know that you had a three minute song that you had to reduce right it's kind of like the curse of working behind the scenes like if it mm-hmm. works then people don't notice it yeah but maybe even honoring brian's song when he hears it maybe yeah. he hears it and realizes I don't hear anything. It's completely new. It's a, it's a whole new interpretation of his, his full song. Mm-hmm. Sure. Completely familiar to him because it's all his stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe, he, maybe even he, as the original writer, doesn't realize it, get that, that Easter egg. I love that. I, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It doesn't, I mean, yeah. I'm mentioning it now not to, not to put it out there, but just as an example of... Um, Our 100,000 listeners. Oh, no. <laughs> this, this personal joy that I get from... Um, sure. If I had the time, if I had the time to, to mm-hmm. um, giving detailed attention to, to the process. Absolutely. I wanted to talk about theme. Theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that's really important to me when I start thinking about a score for my projects, and I'll use Disconnect as an example. 
I want all the music to be tied together or attached yeah. to a character or a thematic element of the script. And I remember when we first talked about this and we were kind of getting going, I mentioned, we kind of spotted it like you were talking about together. Right. And then after that, I was like, I want this character to kind of have a sound and you know, said some things like that. Obviously, I don't know what I'm doing, so I just say things like that, and I hope that you know what it means, and <laughs> you know you run with it. But yeah, like intuitively, our brains work that way. I think where we can connect the dots if we hear it like at twenty minute mark, then an hour twenty, like oh shoot, like we heard that, mm-hmm. and now we know it's connected. Mm-hmm. Talk about how important that is with scoring and how difficult it might be to kind of keep that through line just with the music. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a fascinating topic. Uh, there's kind of two levels there, many levels, but two, two basic levels. Uh, so first and foremost, there's the beginning of interpreting a film musically. You have to have the conversation with the director or with yourself or, or, the, the process on, on my end is that I have to develop limitations, mm-hmm. right? Is kind of one part of the, the spectrum. If you have thousands of instruments and styles to choose from, you have to narrow it down and make a choice as to what you're going to start from, work from, paint from. It's, it's a lot like a painting in that a painter will develop a color palette first mm-hmm. that is relevant to what he or she is painting. Mm-hmm. And so they, they put out a palette of, of a, a color palette of related colors uh, for this exact creation. And so they have to limit the colors they're working with, right? So I have to start to some degree or another by choosing a sound environment, a, a feel. And that can look like beginning to narrow down instrumentation that I'll use. Are we... Uh, are we using traditional instrumentation like strings or orchestra? Are we going to use only certain elements of the orchestra? So we'll have strings, but we won't have woodwinds. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have traditional orchestration percussion, but we will have strings, but we'll have electronic elements um, mixed in. Or is this going to be all synth or synth heavy? Mm-hmm. So you have to choose the, the direction of the palette in, instrumentally to a degree because you ought, you you want there to be a, like you said a through line a, a signature to to the film mm-hmm. there are films where it jumps all over the place and that's actually in line with what they want to creatively do right. to the viewer who's watching create um, chaos chaos yeah <laughs> like lost highway mm. is that david fincher or david david lynch mm. I, that just came to mind last night for some reason. Mm. And that was all over the board. Everything from nine inch nails to <laughs> all kinds of interesting. But so you do have to choose a palette, right? Mm-hmm. You have to create a palette with inside of which the, the, the sound will live and have a through line across the film. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of that is kind of more of a specific uh, style, which isn't always relevant and isn't always used on every film. 
So thematic scoring. Mm -hmm. John Williams does this a lot. Certain directors love this. And so we'll ask their composers to compose in this style. Alexander Splat does this a lot, I think. Mm -hmm. Where you're developing... So one aspect of that kind of style of writing is that you actually are developing musical themes, mm-hmm. melodies, which link to certain characters. And then there are variations on that. So when you, it, the purpose of which is to actually trigger the viewer mm-hmm. to connect with that character. Yeah. Hopefully they, they'll, they'll hear an element, they'll hear a theme and say, ah, Hermione Granger is coming on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, in, we're in Harry Potter's mind or world. This is, his, this is his interpretation. This is his theme. This is, or Princess Leia's theme. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so that's not always how films are scored, but they are sometimes scored that way where you're actually writing themes which tie specifically to characters. Mm-hmm. But what you are always, almost always doing is certainly having to develop thematically as in your palette of instruments, a soundscape in which the film will sit. And then there's a lot of interesting little creative techniques in between where you meld those two. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be really set. It could almost actually be subliminal, which is really fun sometimes. Mm. It's not outright that you're prompting the viewer by a theme which connects to that character, but maybe there's a little element that they don't even know is there. Right. Which you always put in. That's another one of those little detailed, uh, fastidious little things I like to do when it's relevant or mm-hmm. when I f- can pull it off. You can't always pull these things off to kind of hide an element in there, Yeah, which even subliminally ties someone to uh, an emotion or a character. I think that that's a very interesting part of uh, adding music to something like whether it just be a little cue or something like that in the middle of a score that could just be a hint not in many people who are listening probably don't know unless they're listening very closely to it and i think that's great that you can get away with hiding that and pretty much putting it in plain sight for them or plain sound for them yeah yeah and then the serious if they're if you're actually doing that if you're if you're being really clever and intentional then for true fans of something like breaking bad mm-hmm. you'll have these conversations a decade later where they're talking about every time you see the color yellow that someone's IMDb gonna get murdered right? section. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Fascinating stuff. Fun, fun little easter eggs little little hidden motives and intentions by the creators i love that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah that's fantastic yeah i would Guess that your favorite part of c- composing for film, you I think you'd mentioned, is finding those little bits and pieces and going in depth with uh, composing. Is that is that correct? Is there other elements to composing that you would say you find very fascinating and interesting? Sure. Well, fundamentally, I love once momentum gets going. Right. right? So the very first part of of starting is often really hard. Just It, it just takes commitment and work mm-hmm. and patience. I find it very difficult, you know, starting starting each project. That blank page is, is, is a bear. There's a million ways I could go. Right. I love when I catch momentum mm-hmm. and things are flowing and I've got 
rough ideas outlined and now it's time to really color it right and yeah. and bring it bring it up bring it to life um expand on it mm-hmm. and i love finishing frankly mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yep. a great feeling nice. we're done we're yep. done um I also love once the writing is largely done, there is, it's not necessarily this linear, but there is a delineation between project prep, Mm -hmm. finding the palette, just working in your session, going through patches and different instruments and trial and error and finding a sound and finding your palette. Mm -hmm. And then the beginning sketching things out, writing, trying things up against picture. Yeah, But once things are moving and flowing and I'm in the writing process, I'm also quite often in simultaneously in a more of a production process or a mixing process too. Mm-hmm. So not only am I writing with or working or writing with, with the, the music in mind, the sound palette in mind, the frequencies in mind, mm-hmm. I'm also simultaneously making mix moves, thinking about panning, mm. EQing things, um, very technical stuff like compressing yeah. loud sounds to make them mm-hmm. sit in the, in the mix, um, EQing out low rumble to make sure the balance is, is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. You, do, you can do a lot of that stuff at the end, but I tend to do a lot of that stuff as I go because these projects get huge. I mean, yeah. I had, I don't know, <laughs> I mean... I was looking back at Live as an example and, <laughs> and at my project folders. And so I did audio post on that, the full audio post dialogue, editing, sound design, and all of that, and the balancing and mixing of the film, plus the music. And they're mm-hmm. very different focuses, right? Yeah. And actual totally different sessions, project sessions. So the way I organize my templates is I pull all of that out. That, I'm working in the music world, I'm in the music world. I'm working in audio post, I'm in audio post world. Mm-hmm. And I was looking back and the, um, my audio post sessions revisions. So I revisions being for me, unique project saves. Right. So if it's project live underscore zero zero one, I might then have a change and I, um, version control. Mm-hmm. So it might be zero zero one a zero zero one B and then I'll make a bigger change. And then it becomes zero zero two. Right. Mm-hmm. So that one got up to 40, but it was 110 revisions just for the audio posts. Right. So I had 110 Pro Tools sessions saved. <laughs> and then the music side was 57. Mm. 57 separate revision saves. So it gets very complicated. And the track count, I don't even know what that was. Um, you know, around f- between 50 to 100 plus tracks. I think I maxed out Pro Tools at some point on that one and had to pull things back, certainly in the audio post. But. Mm. So you can't wait till the end to do the mixing. <laughs> right, really, you yeah. can't. You, you have to be doing that as you're weaving it all together. Mm-hmm. So I do love that aspect as well. Um, the, the detail work of getting into soloing something out and fixing an EQ, fixing a frequency or finding a way to, like last night working on uh, your intro for the, this podcast, um, you know, taking these four vocal chops and finding out a way to to make them all fit together and doing that with EQ and, and panning. and uh, So I love that process, that detail process. Mm-hmm. It's, it uses a different part of the brain, which can be really comforting uh, when you're taxing yourself out on, on the creative side of working with a lot of open space and open ideas when you're writing mm-hmm. to switch the brain into I'm fixing and I'm right. dialing in the the production 
mix level is is a whole different rhythm. So I love that too. And then ultimately, what I what I you know as as difficult as I find this work, mm-hmm. and I I think it's it's just tremendously difficult. It it doesn't come naturally for me mm-hmm. to actually score a film. I think what comes naturally to me is the emotional side of exploring how to complement an actor's emotions or a, the, the the emotions of, of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that side of it. Yeah. And when I get it right or as right as I think I can and right can simply be the director loves it and I love it. Mm-hmm. That's right enough, yeah. frankly. <laughs> that's all you need. Is it ever the director likes it and I hate it? Is that right oh. enough for you? Ultimately, the the goal is the director loves it, right? That that is the that is the goal, and ideally, I don't want what the director likes to be something I hate. Yeah, that would be that would be a pretty big mismatch. Yeah, I would say that there are plenty of times where I interpret something differently. Just a small choice here and there. Yeah, like I wouldn't yeah, done where that. I would. Maybe for myself, if it were my film, I would prefer to interpret um, that piece this way right. or to use something really creative in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of times where I have preferences yeah. that are different to the directors, but ultimately what the director loves, I also want to to love. Mm-hmm. And, and if I don't love it personally as a creative choice, mm-hmm. I do want to love it as- A viewer. Uh, as an end- creation as I want to love what I did with it. Yeah. Right. So if I don't love the genesis of the idea, I do want to love how it sounds when I'm finished with it. Mm-hmm. So I do want it to, to sit and support the story properly. I do want the instrumentation to, to really sound fundamentally good, mm-hmm. if not unique. Um, so I do still give it the, the same care, yeah. Right? Sure. Even if, if if even if I don't love the idea, um, yeah. Nice. Well, that's awesome. I I definitely think that as an actor, I for me, whenever I listen to scores or something like that, that's why I'd asked about the emotional journey of stuff before because I know I can listen yeah. to a piece, uh, just on my own, and this might just be because. I'm kind of psychotic, but I'll just start crying because of it or something like these emotions will just come to me randomly. And, uh, that could be something that as an actor, I use in the middle of a scene, you know, you think it's random. We planned that all. I know. That's why I asked. That's the whole point. (laughs) I was like, I knew you guys were doing this to me. That's beautiful, man. That's, that's your human. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the point Yeah. to get the goosebumps up, to get the, the eyes tearing up, to, you know, to get you rooting for a character or mm-hmm. rooting against them or to just uh, sweep you up. Yeah. I, I think it's so important scoring films. I'm that guy that's, oh, I don't go to the gym. But if I did go to the gym, I'd be listening yeah. to a soundtrack or a score mm-hmm. compilation, things like that, because it's everything to me. Like, yeah, it's over yeah. 50%. Like, a stunning visual, like that can grip me. Mm-hmm. But man, if you hit yeah. me with just that perfectly placed score, mm-hmm. like I'm yeah. just, I'm butter. Like yep. I'm melted. My walls are down. My heart's open. <laughs> like bring me into your world. I'm here. And yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know if everyone thinks that way. Well, I, I do listen to a good bit of score, uh, to film scores, but I'm also, oh my gosh, all over the board with my my musical influences. Everything from Nine Inch Nails to Radiohead yeah. to mm. um, old world music with Patrick O'Hearn. Or mm-hmm. Recently listening to a beautiful Brahms al- album, mm. you know, traditional orchestral stuff. Mm-hmm. Even on occasion... Crank up the Pantera, believe it or not. <laughs> a little metal I learned That's from one of my ex girlfriends. I was never into metal. And then I thought, okay, well, I gotta I gotta assimilate a little bit here. Let me try to see what I can get into that she's into. Mm-hmm. There you oh, go. Oh man. Never knew I'd like Pantera. Thank you, ex girlfriend. <laughs> That's that's the way to work out right That's there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, so I uh, want to closing it out, what have you been sure. watching? Have you been watching anything recently? A little bit. I'm not watching as much as I am uh, listening to music and actually trying to read more mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got a stack of books that, that I'm working on, but I know you guys asked about this, so I gave this a little thought. What I'm watching, I recently watched The Florida Project, ah, directed by Sean, Sean Baker. That's a good one. That is a beautiful film. Beautiful. Mm. That is a beautiful very, film. I was looking forward to that raw. for a while. Yeah, good choice. I love those type of uh, those types of films. It's just kind of stands in its own its own world. Mm-hmm. I just started Schitt's Creek because I needed something Creek. light, okay. yeah, and super funny, and that's great little uh, twenty minute twenty minute episodes, mm-hmm. just pure silliness. Yep. <laughs> Watching a little bit of this series, this uh, Russian science fiction series called Better Than Us Better on than Netflix. Us. Okay, it's about. Um, Future AI and robots. Right. Um, Unorthodox is on my list. Is that a series or a movie? I don't remember. I think it's a series and it's about um, a Hasidic Jewish woman fleeing Brooklyn to Berlin to escape an arranged marriage. Oh, okay. Mm. It looks looks beautiful. It looks, you know, serious. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of drama. Yeah. Drama stuff. I want to see Soul, a movie. Mm -hmm. I want to see The Midnight Sky soon. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Sky, George yes. Clooney film, right? Yeah, George I'm interested to see what um, Alexander Desplat does with that. Who scored that? He's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And just started watching season three of The Sinner. The Sinner. Okay. I don't know if you guys have I seen that. But. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm watching a few things. That's so. a pretty wide range there, my friend. Yeah, that is really good. Yeah. And you're reading and throwing on some yeah. soundtracks, like. You're a cultured man. That's He's all. culturing That's all himself out. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Ladies, you're single. That's Wait, right. It's I a different indeed. podcast, but it's true. So. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. Where would I? Where would I fit her in? To all of <laughs> oh, this. Yeah. That's right. You know, all these sessions you're doing. It's like that's it. Speaking of how to find you, what are your yeah. social medias? Where can people find you? What can they get on to see, or I guess in this case, listen to your work? Probably the easiest is um, my online press is a little disjointed at the moment, working on kind of clearing some of that up. But Twitter, at Brian Holt, B-R-Y-A-N-H-O-L-T. Instagram, Brian Holt. Uh, Facebook is Brian Holt Music. Okay. And all of those will link kind of one to the other. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of links out in my uh, Facebook Music page description. And I think tw- either Twitter or Instagram links over to my IMDb page. I do have 
web URLs, but my uh, website isn't published at the moment, but it's uh, brianholt.us or holt.world. Mm. Mm. That sounds so profound. At some point, those will be up. Beautiful. some point, those will be up. Holt.world. <laughs> I was actually <laughs> wanting to get holt.life. A little less profound, a little bit more approachable. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to... <laughs> People that think that I think there's a whole world of stuff going on in my life, but uh, hey, but there is, is a life here. So Holt that life would have been cool, but it was taken. <laughs> All right, BrianHolt.com has been taken for years. Uh, the guy won't give it up, man. You mm. hate that, man. It's got an old wedding announcement from eight years ago or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we need to track him down. Hey, uh, if you're listening, that's right. yeah, uh, that's right. please give up that website. Give it up, man. Give you it don't up. need it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, oh, thank you yeah. so much for joining us. It really means a lot. Loved hearing your side yeah, of composing and just the depth of knowledge that you have technically, and then also just your experiences. I'm getting there, man. There's there's a lot to learn. You know, if I'd given any advice to um, someone entering the the industry, um, certainly any part of it that that is a craft, audio post, music, writing, um, screenwriting, is to fall in love with learning, mm-hmm. become a lifelong That's learner. That's good advice. That's really good advice. You know, I think you need to not only nurture your passion for learning, but your capacity to learn. And you need to never stop learning and be interested in learning because it it never it never ends. It shouldn't ever There's end. There's always, always more to learn, always yeah. more to learn. Yeah. And um, and a lot of times in creative fields, people have to pivot completely from one focus to another. Mm-hmm. So, or a technology yeah. uh, leap. You know, like when the old analog guys had to leap over into Pro Tools and start learning. You can't get around it. The world's moving forward. Mm-hmm. You gotta yep. gotta jump in there and figure that thing out. So, that's yeah, right. yeah, that's, that's great really advice. Good. Yeah, that's really good, guys. Advice. Nice to uh, nice to chat with yeah, you. Yeah, we of certainly course. appreciate it, and we look forward yeah. to hearing any projects that you're working on next, and know yeah. that they will be beautiful orchestra mm. of sounds to our ears. We hope. We hope. Yeah, I'm really um, really pleased to be doing this work, and it's uh, it's been fun to to do so many projects with you and keep growing. That's that's also really really. F- wonderful part of this work is to is to grow with people mm-hmm. over over time so i've done uh done a bunch with you um you get to skip a few Ian steps Lee, at the beginning a couple there. with mike rita yeah <laughs> Not, you don't have to get yeah, to know man. each other you can just jump in yeah yeah absolutely all righty nice. take care brother Yo. all right gentlemen thank you so much Thanks again. so much later all right we'll see you all right later Thank you guys so much for listening to our interview with Brian Holt as he talked about scoring films and a little bit of the post-audio world. As always, you can reach out and find us on Instagram at the Cinevibes, or if you want to send us a little email, you could do that as well at cinevibescast at gmail.com. And of course, you can find Brian Holt's social medias in the link below, the description below, whatever's below on spotify hopefully you better click that and go give him a a listen he's done a lot of work and scoring is one of those things that 
oftentimes goes unnoticed and usually that's for a good reason and so mm-hmm. we appreciate all those out there scoring and the legends that have done it and those legends now giving back to the people coming up behind them that's so right appreciate you guys listening if this is something that you liked and want to hear more of then let us know that as well and we can get brian back on perhaps someone else that's also working in the industry in this realm so again thank you and we hope that you guys have an amazing rest of your week and shameless plug please just follow us on spotify it's down there you just gotta you just gotta like it that's it's our that's all you gotta do <laughs> just like, hit that little heart button like we're gonna <laughs> like go christopher walking on this and like that's right how could you not just, just do hit it. the follow button <laughs> um but yeah thank you all so much for listening i really love talking with brian and we hope you did too and we're out